intro. Go. Oh, it's too much pressure now. I don't know what to make of it. Ah! Good afternoon, ladies, gentlemen, and all of the wacky and wonderful characters who listen to our shit. Welcome to One Hour Elevator Pitch. Uh, it's me, Hugh, and Daniel, the other one. Hello. And this week we are doing another Dan original. The Dan second, original. The second one. Yes. We've been. We've done too much science fiction. We both I've, acknowledge that. I've told we've you off repeatedly. We've done some Star Wars. We've done some Destiny. We've done an original sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Need for Speed, clearly pure science fiction. Absolutely. Um, cars count as basically The bit a... where they race on the moon was probably a bit far, but it's still probably something that will happen in the next Fast and Furious anyway. Give Elon Musk a few. Like The second he's interested in that series, it's oh, being yeah. set on another planet. Like, the bad guys are all just no, in Not, not cyber set trucks. on another planet, sorry. Filmed on another planet. <sighs> to be fair, low gravity need for... We're getting off topic. Yep. <laughs> science fiction is dead to us for the next hour or so. Because we're rewinding the clock rather than pushing it forward. We're going back in time to a, uh, a time where community and helping your fellow man and robbing stagecoaches was the main, the main push. We're going back to the Old West. And on that note, this week's episode is sponsored by Tumbleweeds. If you need a place to look empty or want to build tension for a confrontation, visit tumbleweeds.com and use discount code HELLO, hello, hello for 10% off your first purchase. Tumbleweeds.com you said that far too real. <laughs> like, the other ones were obvious jokes. I can't tell if you've gotten a brand sponsorship without informing me. If, if I did, you certainly would know about it, of course. I, I'd and I'd get half some the money. Yeah, I'd have to split at least half the money with you. That's definitely not a real sponsor. Now, thank you for saying at least half, implying that I deserve more. <laughs> right, so, we're in the Old West. As Englishmen, our knowledge of this period is a bit patchy. Yes. Although I'm not... Mine is just exclusively from movies. Yeah, so I did I did history up to A-level. They, 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 the way that they teach in, uh, history in England is it's pretty much World what War mistakes I. did we make. World War One, Rise of Russia, World War Two, bit of Cold War, that's it. That's all I ever uh, got, and I did so, quite a lot. So for me, it was that was like the, the earlier stuff. And mm. then when you get into like A-level, it's, like I said, it's England's mistakes. So it's our own civil wars and such. And then it's the Revolutionary War. What a waste of tea that was. And all of the stuff that America did without us following that. Oh, okay. So, so like, my, I, I, the American Civil War is, like, you know, kind of uh, fun to laugh at. Because my remembering is that I did World War One and Two all the way through GCSE mm. history. And then I did AS and we were just starting again. It was like, we're doing World War Two, And I was like, for fuck's sake, tell me something I don't know. Or, like, just... Don't do the yeah. same thing, but in more minutiae detail. Give me something fresh. If we'd done like mad shit, like Egyptians and Romans, like, but Ain't, in that kind of a detail. Oh, well, that's a different qualification altogether. That's classical civilization. Well, this is the thing. I found that out later. It's like, oh yeah, yeah you could have studied that. I was yeah. like, shit, I've already done a year and I'm, I'm going to give up on that and follow my dreams to become a photographer, which worked out really well. Always follow your dreams, kids. Wow, that threw me so far off the, the um, fucking railroads. <laughs> Photography was invented around about the time of the Old West, though, which is why you get actual photographs of real-life cowboys yeah, it's, in it's, um, museums and It's such. that weird transitionary period where it's after the Industrial Revolution yeah. has really kicked off. Trains and but guns. They're trying to push the Industrial Revolution into an actual wilderness, like the biggest wilderness yeah. that we've ever conquered as man, realistically speaking, right? Um, in terms of what is civilized, like land versus not. Of course, however, you know, the way that we're taught it, is it's effectively a very gradual invasion because, mm. of course, there were people there. I don't feel that I have enough of them because this 
all of this teaching for me was like eight years to ten years ago. Right. So I'm not going to be able to remember all of the details of everything. I gloss over a lot of the history. I don't really have a region of the Old West picked out. I've made up town names. You know, it's a fictionalized version of the Old West. But we are talking Old West. We're talking there's still expansion moving across. Maybe the railroads aren't even completed across mm -hmm. the country yet. And we're talking Bounty Hunters and Yeehaw because it's it's a film. Yeah, you've got to have the drama and the the action. I, I'm aware of your my um, tick list that I have to follow. Yeah, the, the tick list has been scrubbed you. this week, ladies and gentlemen. And what we've replaced it with is ten Hugo predictions of what Dan will do in his western. I will save those till afterwards. We'll run through them, okay. and you can explain why you did or didn't do those things. So, as much as I was slightly joking earlier with my little intro about the old west being like a time of communities building up and such. The story that I've got for you today is inspired by a lot of those old westerns where nothing really happens for two hours. Yeah. And then it all just kicks off inexplicably towards the end. Okay. So, shall I start? Please do. Shall I say the title up front? Because you know it. I've mentioned it to you before, so you can make thumbnails. You've said it's called let's, this, and there's a... Let's <laughs> introduce it to our audience in, a western in I guess, like, diegetic terms of, like, what would happen in the cinema, although people go into cinemas without knowing the titles anymore i don't think that's a no, thing either it's not okay let's 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 do it anyway so here's our cold open we've got a nice classic three act structure coming at you we begin not with six a prologue acts this time no no we've cut it back quite playing at? quite quite a lot so our first shot is obscure machinery in a dark room it takes maybe an audience a few moments to as you know, spiders scuttle across the dusty screen and, like, sunlight streams in from so high up somewhere. Tumbleweed. Uh, it's it's the tumbleweed Not moment, problem. yeah. We're inside a bell tower. Okay. And after, like, a few long shots, different angles around this bell tower, we cut to outside the bell tower to see the clock face attached to it. And it's completely still, completely silent, and really loud. That one tick, a minute forward. It's three minutes to midday. And then we cut to a nervous but grizzled face whose eyes are quickly darting left and right. We cut once more to see a little more of this figure. He's wearing a, a gold star. He's a sheriff. And as we cut back to, to see more of this man, we also see that there is a black-clad reverend clutching a Bible in one hand and nervously fidgeting with his collar in the other. And we pan out to see more of the sheriff. Behind him we can see that we're on the main street of a burgeoning town somewhere in the rolling plains of the Americas, the Old West. There's kind of an unspoken tension happening, but we can see in the background more uh, civilians are beginning to kind of like appear and, and, and see what's happening. A uh, classic uh, Western showdown. And then from off screen, a commanding voice speaks. He startles the Reverend. We see the Reverend flinch and the Sheriff grimaces. You a believer, Sheriff Hampton? No response. A man of law must be a man of God. Otherwise, whose rules are you enforcing? We remain focused on the sheriff and the reverend, and we occasionally cut to see the growing crowd of spectators in the background. And if I understand correctly, and bear with me, mind, I am in no way a scholarly type. If I understand correctly, then God has a plan for us all, does he not? No response. Wouldn't you agree, reverend? Um, the reverend clears his throat, he's very nervous, he says, that, that's right, God has a plan for us all, my child. And we cut to a low shot, almost camera to the ground, peering from behind an immaculate set of black boots, the unseen stranger. And looking past him, we see the tiny figure of the sheriff seemingly very far in the distance. 
Well, isn't that something? Straight from the horse and all that. And the camera pans up along, uh, up, directly up, past these boots to settle on the six-shooter revolver dangling from the outlaw's head. The sheriff speaks. Doesn't have to be this way, son. Come in quietly. Tell me, Reverend, the Bible somewhere in there says that it is unholy sin to kill another man, does it not? The Reverend replies, that's right, thou shalt not kill. Even in the name of the law? No response. Whose law is mightier, Reverend? God's or the federal government's? All of a sudden, two gunshots ring out. Immediately followed by a pained yell, and we see the sheriff crumple to the floor. His hand a bloodied mess, his broken gun lying just a few feet away. And as the outlaw approaches and stands over the sheriff, now squatting down to inspect what he's done, we see his face. Long, dark hair, rough beard, an outlaw, black hat, black boots, classic western villain. Keanu Reeves? Maybe. (laughs) Now that could have gone better, Sheriff. You panicked. Why'd you go and do that? He calls out, Reverend, and the the man comes running. Uh, The bullet went through, but we'll need some spirit to clean the wound out. And the Reverend fumbles for something inside his pockets and produces a hip flask. Mm. The trio exchange like a look. The Sheriff looks at the Reverend. The Reverend looks at the Sheriff. They're all surprised that the the Reverend has just pulled out alcohol. The Reverend takes a swig, passes it to the outlaw, takes a swig, (laughs) passes it to the Sheriff. Gonna do it yourself, the outlaw asks. Uh, The Sheriff stammers, uncanny. Takes a drink. Pauses. Takes another drink. Hey now, leave, leave some for the shot, come on. And the Sheriff pours liquor onto his wound, suppressing a pained cry between his gritted teeth. And the outlaw stands, he's done he beckons the reverend to follow him. He'll be all right. God willing. I guess that means I'll be moving on. Our conversation will have to resume some other time, I'm afraid. That is a shame. We were we were making progress. Didn't even get what I came here for. He nods at the sheriff, who's now behind him in the street, and is being helped to his feet by some of the locals. Make sure he heals up properly, all right? You said you were heading back east. Oh, reverend. Looking to make a quick buck off the first bounty hunter that comes through here. Yes, east is where home is, and I got a long way to ride to get back. Have to spend a few days north to avoid the worst of the mountains. I can't persuade you to turn yourself in. Not today, Reverend. We will all be judged before God, my son. No sense in delaying the inevitable. And the outlaw mounts a black horse, flicks at the brim of his black hat and grins. I'll give the good man some time to get his explanations in order before I get there, Reverend. You have a fine day now. As he turns his horse and saunters out of the town, we see him a shot from the side. And as he exits frame, we zoom to a series of posters on a wall behind him. Wanted alive for questioning. The family. That's our title card. Ennio Morricone, steel guitar, pan flute, all that shit kicks in. And we pan to focus on these wanted posters. They're kind of crude sketches. And the first one is our outlaw. Black hat, rough beard, long hair. Mm-hmm. The second is a slightly older man, scars on his face. Kind of deep-set eyes. And the third, a thinner man with a crooked nose. You know, he's been punched really hard at some point. Okay. <laughs> and we see their names. First one, our outlaw. Gunnar Moran. Second one, William Moran. Third one, Angus Moran. And we'll come back to those names at the end. 
because they're chosen for a reason and that reason is making you grin because it works in this context it really does so well Gunner Moran Gunner that Moran that is a great cowboy name mm. so now that's that was a very detailed call over night I went I wrote that like you know a script love it um and the first thing we see uh, as we go into our act one we're following Gunner in okay. fact I've labelled this act one brackets Gunner so he leaves this town called Pale Ridge and he heads northwest up the roads. And we kind of get that uh, classic kind of uh, almost, probably not as drawn out as, say, The Revenant, but we're following him yeah, for a while. Yeah, like lone, and gun, he's, lone gunman. It's yeah. a Wild West trope. He's, he's riding talk- through the hills sort of a thing. He's not talking to anybody. So we're just following him. One of the things about this type of movie genre, cinema-wise, mm-hmm. and uh, every single example that I could possibly name or think of, there will always be a huge establishing shot of nothing except the scenery, and that's just to suppose, always prove how empty these places were at the time. Like you say, yeah. it's, the, it's the undiscovered territory there, you know, advancing into the wilderness, essentially. Yeah, so I should suppose I should describe the part of America that we're in, okay, in okay. terms of just, like, the landscape, right? So I've mentioned that there's mountains, there's mm-hmm. ridges, it's um, kind of rough terrain in general, but there's still, like, rolling plains here and there. Um, lots of pine forests is how I imagine it. A place that feels like it could rain at any time. Top left of the Red Dead Redemption 2 map. Sure. I have not played that game, but I'll take your word for it. Not snowy. Not no, snowy. No, that's, not... that's top right, sort of all the way along okay. the top. Again, sure. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I only played the first one. You can't change, John. So, we're following Gunner. Um, he's he's riding northwest. How we would establish that, I'm not sure. Maybe he's got a compass or something. He's not going the direction he said. Okay. And one of the first things he does once he's like far enough away from town is he pulls his horse uh, up to a stream... And like looking in the reflection of his his big Bowie knife or whatever he's got, he ties his hair up under his hat, shaves his beard, changes his clothes, and he looks completely different. He's not the black hat, black booted outlaw anymore. He's just a guy all of a sudden. So he like fully goes like from outlaw to farmer almost. I'm yeah, imagining. yeah, pretty much. So like the tying the hair back, maybe he even just cuts it. It's clear that he does this that's, on purpose. That's a classic, like, criminal thing to do mm. as well. It's his like, disguise. Yeah. yeah it's absolutely. his persona. So, like, now if you looked at the Wanted poster and compared him to it, you know, different hat, short hair, no beard. And it's a scraggly Wanted poster, so it's not a particular, like, it's not a photograph. Those, those things were hand-drawn. Yeah, exactly. So, this is, it, it's, it's his disguise, as we've said. And once he's done this, you know, he slaps his uh, outlaw outfit in a bag on the back of his horse, mm-hmm. saddlebag, and... Keeps riding along the road. And maybe we get like a, a big time jump. You know, maybe the duel happened in the morning and suddenly it's heading into evening. There's an outpost, like a trading post that he pulls up to. Nobody really pays him any mind. You know, people don't recognize him. Maybe he walks past his own wanted post, you know, that kind of classic thing. He goes in to buy medicine. He's after just whatever they've got. And like the, the trader's like, well, you know, it's your money, but we don't have too much. Uh, a couple of things for pain, nothing really specific. Snake oil. Uh, there's a lot of that, right? And like, maybe we have a scene where he like knows sort of what he's after. He's like, you, haven't heard of this one. Buy it just in case. You know what one of the main painkillers in the old west was as well, don't you? Uh, cocaine. I was about to say opiates uh, and cocaine. Opiates in general, yes, yeah. as they still are. But yes, he is buying a lot of drugs. Yeah. And you know the the traders again, your money, sure. I uh, asks a name for the registry so he can write down who who's buying this, and he gives his name as Peter. And a surname that I haven't thought about. Peter is his nice guy persona. And after he's bought his medicines, you know, he 
counts it all up, puts it in his uh, saddlebag, maybe gives another look at the wanted poster, rides on out, and he's camping out on the road now. Okay. It's night time. Uh, he's found like a little clearing just off the beaten path to set his horse down, nibble at some grass, and he's got a fire. He's cooking some food. Maybe he buys food at the outpost as well. And, you know, you get that classic, it's night, you can't really see too far. He's got his campfire and there's like the snap of a twig and his hand is already hovering over his gun when two figures approach, both with the revolvers held at their hip. And we have two Native Americans okay. in quite ragged clothing. And he says, hello, fellas. Nice evening. And both of them just kind of gesture their guns at him. He seems quite bemused, but obviously, like, if he moves his hand too close to his gun, they, they start getting you. very uppity. Yeah. So he, like, raises his hand away and, like, gestures at his food that's cooking over the fire. He's like, fellas, won't you join me? And there's a younger and an older one of these two. And the younger one, out of nowhere, like, as the, the older, the father grabs at this food, the younger one says, I speak English. And Gunner says, that your, that your pops? That's my father, yes. Does he know his gun is not loaded? I don't tell him that. <laughs> uh, what are you doing this far south? I thought you, your, you people were, weren't really common around these, these parts anymore. And you can see I've been quite careful with my language. Yeah. And it's partly, you know, <laughs> me not knowing enough of the history to do it justice. Mm. Um, but also recognizing that uh, we want Gunner to not be a bad guy. That, like, again, his outlaw persona is a thing, and now he's inviting these people, not because they're threatening him, because mm. he's like, yeah, I've got food, come and have some. So that was one of the things, I hate to bring it back to Red Dead Redemption again, but one of the things they did very cleverly in that was, mm. you're, you're a terrible person, you're doing awful things, but you're not a racist, and some of the people you do awful things to are horrible people and racist. I think there's, I can't remember, is it from... Um... Megamind, where it's like, you're a bad guy, but not bad guy. No, no that's, that's Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph, yep. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Street Fighter um, guy, isn't it? Zangief or whatever his name is. <laughs> yes. He's now chatting with these two, and he asks them about, you know, routes off the beaten path. And, you know, he says, I've got my own reasons for not wanting to stay on the road too much, but I need to get here. I need to get north. I need to cut around the mountains. And the younger of the, the two natives says, you can pay me. And he says enough uh, ammo for your, for your pops not to have to be a, a non-existent threat you know he shows he's got like his gun belt he's got bullets that he can he can pay in okay and you know something useful because money to somebody who's not gonna go into like a trading outpost necessarily that's not helpful so he offers some ammo and as they're concluding that agreement we're back with the sheriff of one hand himself now he's got his arm in a sling okay. you know he got shot through the hand um, I imagine it taking off like a big chunk of the top of his thumb. Yeah, like bits and pieces. Because yeah. like, what happened is he shot the like at the gun, so like a wooden handle or something would have fucking exploded into splinters through his hand. Yeah. So his hand is messed up. You know, he's he's probably not going to be a. He wasn't a quick draw to begin with, let's say. But now Definitely he's not now. now he's now like he's he, washed he, up. He's, he's going to have to change his whole gun hand. He's probably getting fired. So he's drowning his sorrows in his office. And he's talking with the fire. reverend. Mm. Um, you know, it's a bit stormy outside. And the door clatters open, and an intimidating bounty hunter steps through with a definitively massive moustache. <laughs> How massive? Wait, hold on. Like an inch off his face. I think you could go bigger. Just, like, iconically massive. Okay. And he wants to know what happened when Gunnar Moran rode into town. And this is kind of our info dump. This is where we find out about uh, Gunnar. Dump that info, do it. So, the bounty hunter introduces himself as Henrik. Okay. And he says that he is uh, after these ones because he prefers to go after bounties that are wanted alive. That's just his style. 
he says, you know, killing them dead too easy. So we've got our introduction to this character nice and quick. Mm. And he explains that all three of the brothers, brothers Moran, the family, have been seen all over the eastern side of uh, this state or province that we're in. And that this event in Pale Ridge, this duel, uh, um, is the furthest west that they've been. And he wants to know why, because he's trying to track them down. And the Reverend mentions that, you know, Gunnar was looking for medicine and alcohol. The Reverend had spoken to him quite a lot. He assumed the outlaw was going to be, like, smuggling it somewhere. And then we get a kind of uh, detective vision version of the cold open, right? So Henrik, this bounty hunter, is going to piece together certain things that the sheriff and the Reverend just didn't care about. So, you know, we go to uh, the local store in town and we find out that um, Gunnar purchased medicine, right, and alcohol, as the Reverend said. Um, we can find, like, Henrik is going through figuring out what types, you know, none of the really expensive stuff, but still more than he thought Gunnar would be able to afford, that kind of thing. More than he would need just for himself, for sure. Yes, pretty much. And as uh, the, the trio, the Reverend, the Sheriff, and the Bounty Hunter are kind of walking through town, Henrik, the Bounty Hunter, sees, like, a kid watching this conversation, approaches him. And the kid says he saw the, the black hat go east, definitely east, and is very insistent about it. But Henrik has been following these guys for a while, and he grabs this kid, lifts him up off the floor, and intimidates the living shit out of this kid, who reveals that long before any of this happened, when the outlaw first rode into town, he paid the kid some money to say he went east. But another kid saw him go northwest, and Henrik, you know, he's putting this together. He's like, okay, a lead, right? Mm. And now we're back. Next day, end of the path that the natives have shown Gunnar. He pays them for being his Sherpa, gives them ammo. Works, yeah. And like he, he has a moment uh, where he like looks at the younger native and he goes into his black cat outfit bag where it's all kept, pulls out the black boots and says, you should take these. Rough terrain. And the guy's wearing like moccasins. And uh, they tell him that, you know, this road that they've taken him to, this is the caravan road. It won't be too long before he latches onto another group and he'll be able to get up uh, north around the mountains in good company. And sure enough, you know, uh, Gunnar looks off to the, to the side and there is a caravan like a dust cloud in the distance, and you can see that people are coming. He looks back to the natives, and they've both batmaned into the into the wilderness. Nice. And he, that's he, a strong touch. I he, like that he, he, he's got his he's on his black horse, and he rides up uh, to approach his caravan. That is essentially heading like towards him, so he'll approach, join them, and turn around. And you know, it's it's all burly men with like rifles out front, and like on the wagons, and like women and kids in the back. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a just it's, a convoy. Yeah, a convoy. And it's just pure coincidence that they're here at this time. He introduces himself, you know. Howdy, fellas. Introduces himself as Peter. And when they ask him his business, he says that he's a lumber scout. So he uh, he works at a family-owned mill upstate. And they're looking for somewhere new to relocate their business to. Because some rot took over a lot of their, their wood stock. And, you know, that's a plausible enough backstory. He says he's used to travelling alone because, you know, he's been up and down the state looking for somewhere new, but uh, maybe he could uh, ride along with you guys. You know, he can, he can pay his keep, he can do cooking or cleaning or something. And now he's joined up with this caravan. He's heading he's heading north. He can do cooking? Yep. And then we're back with Henrik, Bounty Hunter and the Sheriff. And they are entering the outpost where he bought some more medicine. And they go door to door. They're asking about Gunnar. You've got the wanted poster. And fairly certain that, you know, this is on the northwest road, like the kid said. Uh, so he probably came this way. Eventually they find the man who was selling medicine to Gunnar. And when they ask about a man who was looking to buy a lot of medicine, he kind of nervously says, oh, you know, I don't want any trouble. Lots of people come here buying lots of things. And again, we see Henrik just immediately snap on the bad cop. This man might as well be the same as the little kid who he picked up by the scruff of the neck earlier. Yeah. Picks him up against the wall. 
You know, he, he wants to know information. Anyone who withholds information about a known fugitive is guilty yeah. by association. Type yeah. of a deal. Yeah. And you can see that the sheriff who was shot by Gunner is like, steady on, lad. But he's not stopping him. You know, he, he, he kind of like hesitates at first and then like leans in once information starts flowing. And it's like, oh, he, he uh, a man on a black horse uh, came here like three or four days ago. Well, was it three or was it four? Speak up, boy. <laughs> you know, four or four days, I swear. <laughs> and uh, Sheriff begins to like scratch his chin as they step out. He says, if he's going further north, then, you know, it's just it's just uh, forest, wilderness, really inhospitable terrain, unless he goes the really long way around and joins the caravan road. So we know that he's joined the caravan road as the audience, but we know that he's taken a shortcut through the wilderness. So these guys are going to be behind him. Henrik recognises and said, you know, this is the long way around. It'll, it'll be dust in the wind by then. But at the same time, they recognise that they can't go through the wilderness. Like... I probably wouldn't have them say, like, oh, we can't go there, that's, like, native territory or anything like that. I'd okay. just say, you know, that's wilderness, that's dangerous, we don't know what's there, we'll follow the roads. And the sheriff kind of placates Henrik, who wants to just, you know, charge straight through. Uh, the sheriff says, if we go around this way, you know, there's this outpost and this fort, we can do some recruiting. Act two. We cut back to that exact image from earlier in the film of the three wanted posters in Pale Ridge. Only this time, we're zooming in on the middle poster. William Moran. And we do a match cut from his face on the poster to just his actual face, scarred up, much closer to the poster than the first Gunner's uh, oh, face does was. disguise that sort of thing as well. Sure. He do- doesn't, doesn't really come into it. Cool. Let me put it that way. So, you know, he's got his scars on his face and he's staring at something like through the camera, right? Yeah. Like this is, and he's just lost in thought. You know, he's thinking maybe he's a little bit morose looking. And this is a long shot. We hold this for an uncomfortable amount of time. Like, he doesn't <laughs> blink. And all we get is just the sound of, like, gentle rainfall in the background. And then we cut to a, a wider shot of him in, like, a yard. There's a house, two stories, very rustic, on one side of this yard. And then he's kind of got, like, a, a workshop. There's, like, logs being uh, split there. He's got an axe in his hand. And the rain is kind of gentle, but, like, it's trickling along the gutters. It's splattering on the muddy ground. And on the wide angle, we see that he's got this axe loosely held in one hand. And he brings it up and he rests the blade against the top of one of these logs that he's playing. One-handed. And he does like a practice swing, you know, practice golf swing. Mm-hmm. Lifts it over his head, brings it down, still one-handed. And this is a big log, right? Yeah. And then after like we've spent maybe even a full minute like following this, nothing is happening. Just perfect single motion. Vroomph, cuts this log in half, one-handed. And, you know, shuffles it, organizes it into the right pile. Yeah. And then we see him cut like another couple logs just normally, two-handed proper technique and then we cut to him walking across the the yard rain and mud like he holds his hand like above his head like ineffectually and he approaches the house Uh, it's again quite small two stories very rustic looking there's like a few elements that suggest a minor sense of luxury like a couple of bits of panes of glass in the window porch yeah of course it's a homestead but it's clearly off the grid and inside you know we follow him he he goes through the door he goes to the kitchen uh, cut to him like preparing food he's chopping potatoes and apples chucking them in a pot and he pours this stew that he's made into two bowls. And then he's heading upstairs. It's dark in this house, right? It's dark outside. It's a dreary, rainy day. And most of the like windows and shit are closed. And then he ducks under a very low doorway into a room that is almost entirely black. Like, the windows are shuttered. Door is closed. Maybe there's, like, a candle or something in there. Just for the sake of the filmmaker not having an aneurysm trying to figure out how to <laughs> show this visual. There's clearly a figure curled up under thick blankets on a rickety bed. And he offers one of the bowls of stew... But there's no response, so he rests it on a bedside table instead, and he takes a seat next to the bed, eats his food. And he says, 
I'm going to have a hard time differentiating all these voices now. But he says, you should eat. At least it'll put some warm in you. A female voice, growly and cracked and very clearly ill, replies, I feel like my face is falling off. <laughs> like you can peel it off like the skin of an orange. And he says, you drink your tea? No. It'll help with the pain. Makes my teeth ache. I'd rather have pain in my chest than in my head. I'll go back into town tomorrow and see if any traders are coming. Oh, don't bother. You never have any medicine left these days anyway. Well, if I don't see any traders, I'll make sure to ask after the reverend. Piss off, William. <laughs> Might as well start making arrangements. A fever won't be the thing to kill me. Not sure we have the money for a gravestone. Maybe steal a gargoyle off that church in the city. I'm going back to sleep. Eat it whilst it's hot. Good night, William. It's still morning. And he leaves the room. He's finished his meal. He's finished his chat. Goes back across the rainy yard to his logs. And uh, he sets one upright. He prepares to chop it. And he looks up at the house and he thinks of the noise that he'd be making. So he takes his axe and his log. And he heads downhill into the rainy woods. And here is where we get like a clear indication of how far from civilization this place is. Like it's not completely uh, like inhospitably miles away. You know, it's not days or weeks, but it's at least a few hours off the beaten track. And he comes to a flat area in these rolling hills or like just it's complete mudslide here. Right? It's like a pine forest that's been rained through for days, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we see him stop near one tree, uh, this huge tree. You know, you can you can put your arms around it that big, at least that big. Mm -hmm. And we can just see that it's got these huge gouges cut across it, as if somebody's just been attacking it. And sure enough, hefts the axe in his hand, slams it into the tree. And at first it's quite controlled, you know, technique. Uh, but pretty soon he's just venting. So this is like a, a, the Wild West equivalent of a rage room. You know, you can rent yes. these places where you can you smash up like an old TV with a baseball bat. Sure, if that's a thing. That is a thing. Okay. If I, if I, if I can find one, I'll book one for us, because it sounds very therapeutic. I it, love the idea of it. It does. But tree axe, this, this is the low-tech equivalent. And again, the way that this character is shot is we hold on these weird moments for an uncomfortably long amount of time. So, we cut to a much sunnier day. Uh, he's on a crooked wagon with uh, like a, a quite small like pony pulling it, clearly like cheap. And he's got some planks of wood in the back there, like hewn... Okay. hand yeah, yeah. carved planks right so that's what he's splitting the logs for and he's going to a bustling town center Painting to sell logs. his goods yeah and you know uh, we get all the sequence of the uh, events he's offered a decent price for them you know it's quite clear that he's happy with it there's no like oh that's less than it used to be none of that he's paid for his goods and he inquires as to like it, it's clear that he's been here for a while right like the person he's selling to has a previous relationship with him they know each other by name oh hi well yeah they yeah exactly he doesn't hide his name either he is william here no mention of the surname though uh, maybe if there is, it's that's that's fake. That's a different name. Okay, it's McAllister or something. <laughs> uh, it begins with M as well, but just yeah. like somewhere somewhere random. Fucking high one line. Sure. And he he's talking to you know his, his buddy, the trader who's just bought all of his stuff, and you know there's a couple of guys taking the wood off his wagon for him, and he's inquiring as to whether or not there's anyone new in town, and he means traders and such. But he's told that some men in very smart clothes showed up recently and started throwing their money around, and you know that sounds interesting. You know maybe they're doctors. Who knows? Or, you know, maybe they're just from far away. Maybe they've got news. So he goes to find out about these men. Uh, he stops at a few familiar haunts along the way, and we see just, like, his daily interactions. Again, it's clear that he has been here a long time. Like, people know him. They know yeah. him by name. He's got, he's he's got some well friends. Despite being a Frankenstein's monster facially. Not, like... I'm not talking, like, full, like... Uh, you know, like, Anakin Scar. Like, just a couple of chops. 
Okay. Not full Frankenstein. Sorry, I don't know if that was clear. No, you said scars all over his face, so that that threw me a little bit. Okay, I'm no, sorry. I'm imagining this guy being like a hulking monstrosity, more, chopping chopping wood in the in, more in like scarred up face. He's yeah. had some rough encounters, but he's survived. He's not a Frankenstein. I was um, imagining he'd been mauled by a bear. I mean, maybe some claw marks here yeah, and there. That's what I'm thinking. You know, a wild man at the very least. He's not like charismatic or anything, but you know, he gets on with people. And eventually he sees these newcomers in town and they're deep in discussion with like a local, but they're two men in very sharp suits, bowler hats. Yeah. There's clearly like some derivation of like the Pinkertons. Okay. Or like, you know, some kind of yeah, yeah. upstate so federal group. That's, that's Red Dead Redemption again, isn't Indeed. it? So the Pinkertons that's a lot the, of Western... Yeah, they're the law enforcement people. Are the Pinkertons a real thing so in real life? Because I thought it was just like... I'm fairly certain that the Pinkerton like, detective agency okay. was essentially like the federal police... We'll, we'll Google this. Because my understanding of how the FBI was formed is that it's, it's, it's based on Wild Wild West starring Will Smith and at the end of that movie... <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the movie that's how the um, federal bureau of investigation gets set up yeah anyway <laughs> so these guys are really out of place yeah you know this is a scruffy town it's it's bustling it's doing well but it's scruffy and like you can even see just like the richness of the color of their clothes right like everyone else is kind of like dusty and gray and they're very sharp and dark but um eventually he approaches them and you can see that he kind of like puts on a bit of a persona now he's very polite and kind of uh, genteel humble brag Excuse me, fellas. Don't mean to bother you. You know, speak up, man. What do you want? Maybe, maybe they're British. I don't yeah, know. I was going to say, you've gone straight for um, <laughs> When I want dickhead authority, I go slightly more British than normal. So, uh, just, just wondering where you're from. Not much news comes through here. I was wondering you know, if you know anything about the East Coast these days. You're from there? Well, my family was. Right, right. Well, and they like clearly actually want to, like, tell this man something, but then they don't really think we have much to tell you, I'm afraid. You know, railroads are going strong. There's some turmoil in state government, but when isn't there? Nothing new. Uh, you two heading back that way soon? Depends on how long our business takes to conclude here, and you can see them, like, share a glance. And the other one says, we're waiting on a telegram. Like, as if, you know, he, he assumes that the bumpkin doesn't know what a telegram is, you know, that kind of authoritarian. Yeah. Not authoritarian, but, like, I don't want to say just dickhead. There's a better word for it, but he's a dickhead. <laughs> um, oh well don't let me keep you mister oh not, not at all lad what do you do around here are you a farmer and uh, the other one cuts and says maybe a lumberjack and there's an awkward pause one of the smartly dressed men's like eyes flicker to the other miller he replies I, I shape the logs with what your hands a lathe mister not a very good one though I have to clean up with a knife on most of them it's very industrious of you makes me good with my hands and the two gentlemen are suddenly called away for their telegram uh, by the guy they were talking to earlier. And uh, William, like, kind of bows. Like, if he, if he has a hat, he, like, you know, yeah, yeah. tips it a little. Uh, makes a respectful exit only to turn around and then look back at the building they've just entered. And we see these two in the building sending a telegram, not receiving one. And they're quite rushed about it. And then we cut to Henrik, the sheriff, and a few more people with them now in a similar room somewhere far away. And the sheriff grins. The middle boy is in Greywater, a little nowhere farm town out west. Henrik lays out a map. They study it here, miles away, days away from anywhere Gunner has ever been spotted. But not Angus. Look, and they kind of like, you know, conspiracy board this. They're desperate. <laughs> They're listing various sightings. They're naming different places. And one of the previously unseen crew, one of the new members of the posse, steps forward and says, maybe it's like a, a trick. A trick? 
you know, leading people away. If, if, if William doesn't ever get seen, it probably means he ain't moving around much. And, you know, if Gunner is seen all over the place, but not here, maybe he's, he's just trying to play us for fools. And, like, there's that classic moment of, why didn't we think of this? Who is this guy? Hmm. And the sheriff, like, wags a finger and says, let's send on a message to your government friends, Henrik. Let's see if the other brothers call Greywater home as well. And we cut back to William. He's at the homestead. He's making dinner. He's going upstairs to the dark room. Sets the bowl on the bedside. Sits down. I'm worried. I'm sleeping. <laughs> there were strange men in town. Federal types. Did they see you? No. No, of course not. Then there's nothing to worry about, is there? They talked to a lot of people. They were asking about lumber, who here cuts it, shapes it. They're just looking to scam some folks. Were they wearing ties? Yes. Hats? Yes. Then they were scamming folks. <laughs> Angus will be back tomorrow, I think. He'll be back whenever he's back. Hopefully I'll meet him in town. I need the extra hands if we're going to make enough money to last into winter. I'll work once I'm better. Long pause. Yes. And then we cut back to the two Pinkertons. You know, the smart men from earlier. The federal types. The federal types. Let's call them that from now on. And they're coming out of Greywater's saloon. It's night time. You know, they're slightly drunk a little bit. They're having some kind of, like, amicable disagreement. And we follow them through the town. There's, like, a boarding house very clearly um, where they'd be staying. They go and, like, they check on their horses. And we're just following these guys again. I'm imagining Weirdly this town like, being like very like even more so than the last one because it's I'm imagining it as a little bigger for some reason. Yeah, no, this is the trade town. This is yeah. This is, I'm imagining the big high street, the saloons in the middle. Yeah, there's a, it's a few there's, streets. Yeah, back, the you know? stables down at the very end of this road yeah. as people come and go so that they can drop their horse. Like in it'd be that kind of place street. where it'd be like the central somewhere, right? Yeah, but central um, Greywater. Sure, and Greywater's a good name. Greywater like also it. means like the excess water that you don't use in a toilet. <laughs> so it is meant to be a shithole. That's great. That's really good. I like that a lot. So they're having this amical disagreement, you know, they're arguing. In, in shithole USA. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, they're, it's not really like a severe argument, you know, it's like whether or not they should teach the Americans to use the U, you know, in, in their words. Something like that. Something really minor. Because now in my head they're British. Thanks for that. That's all right. And, you know, they're checking on their horses. They're going round uh, the back of the stables. One of them's like, I'm just going to take a leak. And one was like, you savage, there's, bu- there's outhouse over there. Fine, I'll go and use the outhouse. You use the stables. And they split up. And uh, the one goes to the outhouse. It's kind of, we're not following them into their various pissing states, but that's okay. what they're doing. And then the outhouse guy comes out. He's waiting. His friend doesn't come back. And he goes to investigate. His friend is gone. And he immediately draws his pistol around the back of these stables, only to find an axe blade at his neck. Sorry, mister, I don't feel I've been entirely uh, honest with you. Uh, This is your chance to be honest with me. Uh, Who are you working for? I won't tell you anything. Maybe you should. Your friend didn't tell me much. He won't be saying much to anyone anymore. Okay. What do you want? I've already told you what I want. I want to know who you're working for. And what will you do with that information? You know, he's just trying to, like, stall... As he, like, his hand is slowly, like, trying to pull, you know, shaking hand, trying to pull the revolver out from his hip. But, um... Or even if he was holding it, he's not in a position where he would be... Yeah, he'd have to, like, turn. Yeah. So, like, he's just been caught outright. And, you know, all of a sudden, again, for some reason, this kid is Batman. He's disappeared the first one. And he's got axe to the second one. This is point where, you know, the federal type is like, you're you're William Moran, right? We're meant to take him in alive. There's no need for any of this. 
Come on, come on, let's have a civilised conversation. Anyone else know that I'm here? No, of course not. You, said, you got a telegram today? Yes, yes, we, we got a telegram. It was, to, it was our, our orders to find you. Who from? The government, of course. Who else? And yeah, now he's lying through his teeth. Oh, okay, well that's good. One-handed swing. <laughs> Kills him. Sighs, looks at like the mess he's got to clean up. I'm imagining that the person who he was dealing with in this stables was stood quite close to a like wooden pillar when this all went down for mm. whatever reason. Yes, and like the back the, wall. The axe goes through his neck into the pillar and yeah. sort of is stuck between both yeah. for a second, second before everything just falls down. But yes, now we cut to him driving his wagon, a couple of dark bundles in the back. You know, we, we follow him off the beaten track. He gets rid of the bodies. Chucks him in the river um, or whatever, yeah. Probably not the river because... Water is very important in these times. You don't want to contaminate your water. That's true. So um, maybe again in the style of following this guy for an awkward amount of time, he's digging a ditch somewhere. You know, and we watch it, and not like the horse that he has, the little pony is like watching him, going, "I'm complicit in murder." Um, <laughs> that's not. <laughs> and if the so, horse, if the horse is thinking that, that's yeah. that's yeah. No, no, we could, we could, we could legitimately have a moment of like the horse looking at him and him looking at the horse and going, "What? They were bad people," you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> um, so he gets I like rid- the idea of him talking to his horse, done. Yeah. Uh, he gets rid of the bodies. Now, we go back to that original wanted poster with the family. Yes. We're going to our third, Angus Moran. So is this Act 3? This is now Act 3. Three. Okay, cool. So I thought the three-act structure was I told you this was going to be a story where nothing happened for extended periods of time. You say nothing happened. Oh, there's been yeah. stuff that's It's been, been intriguing. You're wondering... Yeah. The whole point is, and this is the kind of like the, the premise of the film, right? The first thing you see is wanted alive for questioning the family. Mm. Why are they wanted alive and what do they want to be questioned about? Phrasing on that was slightly wrong. What do people want to question them about? I knew what you meant. So, will we find out? Let's go into Act 3. Angus Moran. <laughs> So, again, we do like the match cut to the face, crooked nose, thinner, shorter hair than the others, you know, he's less ragged. He's on a train. He's got a bag over his one shoulder. Uh, he's got a pile of pelts wrapped pelts. up. Yeah. Mm, we've all seen Revenant. And he's got a like a lever action rifle. Classic. So he's arriving at A-Town. I don't have a name for this one. Nothing as clever as Greywater, I'm afraid. He's arriving at A-Town. The terrain's like slightly different. It's like a little bit more lush and nice. It's not like a mud-swept wasteland. But he, again, is uh, somewhat established here, you can see. Because he goes, he gets off the train, um, you know, whatever, whatever bureaucracy he has to do, he does. And he takes his pelts to someone in the town, in a shop. He's inquiring how much they're worth. And, you know, this time it is the classic, oh, these aren't great quality. He's like, well, I'm in a rush, I need the money. Um, you know, I can give you, you know, half what I paid you last time, like classic. Bartering shit. Yeah. yeah. With you. And you can tell that Angus here uh, really doesn't want to agree to this, but he does need the he money. Has, he has no choice. Sort of and also, town uh, name suggestion, Owl Creek. Owl Creek, all right. Owl Creek it is. So he uh, sells on his pelts for a discount a massive discount yeah half price and he says next ones I bring you are going to be good enough for full price you hear me you know slightly like intimidating finger whacking but yeah. like, he doesn't have a choice now um, is he so sorry to interrupt again is he the oldest out of the bunch it's not really clear because they've all got their own different like yeah weathering okay. you know so um, sorry carry on that was just a thought honestly their age doesn't really matter 
to the actual like story, which is so why it's I'm not imagining them to be of similar age, which is yeah, like yeah, you know, thirties, forties, maybe a bit older, early thirties for sure. He sells his stuff. He's still got his rifle over his shoulder. He's got like a couple dollars now. And what do you know? He goes to the local pharmacy in Owl Creek, and he is looking for anything that can bring down a fever. And he's more specific about what he wants um, than Gunner was. It's clear that like maybe he's had to deal with this like before or some similar situation. Because like, you know, the pharmacist says, oh, this will help. He's like, no, not this time. That's wrong. Not that one. He ends up buying like not all of his money, but like, you know, he, he goes through the notes that he's been given and like gives a couple, like maybe a quarter of his money towards the medicine. And, you know, he packs it in his, in his bags and he gets on the train again, but he's heading out further, and we're following him on the train as... Oh, this is the problem. So I had a minor issue with my notes not saving, so this is from memory now, I'm afraid. No, crack on. So, we're following him for a little while longer, going through that. We get the kind of, like, sweeping vistas of beautiful rolling American planes, all of that stuff, cutting through them, the train going on those tracks. You get a solitary bit of movement in amongst, mm-hmm. like, total stillness. I'm imagining yeah. it, like, at dusk. You, like, this is a very, this is a very arty... Film visually, what is has to be, yeah. I feel that there's so many directors that I just and like cinematographers that I could, I could like you could throw this kind of thing at and they just eat it up, right? Uh, we're following him, gets off on another train, and uh, with the remaining like three quarters of his money, he's buying a horse, okay, because they're expensive as shit, yeah. And you know, like he's haggling again, and it's that classic case of. Well, you know, the the sprinters outside of your your budget, but what about this one? It's like a. a is a nag like a really shit horse? Mm-hmm. I think that's it, right? Yeah, I don't want to get that wrong. No, that is correct. Um, but yeah, he he get like again, he's being cheated out of his money, but he's in he's in no mood to to really argue. And we see him buy this horse. He gives the money over and says, "I'll I'll be here to collect it in the morning." And then he goes to the saloon. He's got like a couple of dollars left, you know. Gets and he gets a whiskey. Gets himself a whiskey, and you know, strikes up the barkeep strikes up conversation with him. This isn't like a nowhere town again because it's got the railroad attached to it. So there's a few people. Uh, no wanted posters anywhere though. Not of him at least. Uh, maybe there are a few but not of him or the family in, in general. Again, the whole idea that this is quite far. Uh, like the family is known to work in the east and this is quite far west now. He's buying his whiskey. You know, he's talking to the barkeep about how shit the trade for pelts is all mm. that kind of stuff. You know, what brings you to town, stranger? And we pan to a card game happening in the background and it is Henrik, the sheriff and their posse. Okay. And they're not discussing their plans loudly or anything, but we as the audience know that Hunter and Hunted are in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And they're just playing a card game. You know, it's like poker or whatever. You know, the sheriff has to stop and explain the rules to one of the the posse, like, constantly. Like, no, 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 no. The ace is better, but it's only got one on it. No, no, no. It it stands for, for being, like, perfect, the best, the one. But one's less than two, you know, that kind of thing. Like, really just... They've not scraped the bottom of the barrel with this gang. But, but. but there's a couple, you know. Yeah. There's there's a couple squirrely-looking fellows who are there just for, for a couple of dollars because they've got nothing better to do with their lives, right? And they want to be known as associates of the famous bounty hunter, Henrik. This scene just, you know, we cut back and forth between the card game and the, hunter, the bounty hunters and the guy at the bar just lamenting, you know, everything you know I, I spent eight shots taking down deer and i can't afford from the pelts to buy eight more shots to replace the ones that i spent you know this is it's just the worst right now hmm. um because his rifle is like comparatively fancy right it's not like a six shooter it's no. not like um uh, it's a proper hunting rifle yeah it, it, it takes larger rounds of ammunition more expensive yeah. i assume i'm sure there's some history buff somewhere going actually 
But for now, let's assume that he's out on his luck financially entirely. Again, if Red Dead Redemption's taught me anything, it's that pistols are cheaper than rifles. You would think so, because until you get to the end game, you get like semi-automatics. <laughs> yes, no. For now, um, it's it's just like a Winchester, you know, lever action. Yeah. But it's still quite fancy, and like you know, it's probably what started the conversation between him and the barkeep anyway. And you know, well, what, fine a rifle you, you got you know, there, sir. Yeah. I hope you're not causing any trouble around this fine town, you know. One thing that is uh, an important line would be, oh, so who taught you to hunt? My father. Who taught you to shoot? Your father also? No, no, that was all me. Military for a while, didn't, didn't last too long, but taught me what I needed to know. It's like, you're a soldier? Mm. Right, yeah. Only in the war on deer. <laughs> um, and again, the barkeep has that response, you know. He's, he's probably a little bit more, like, charismatic than the first two we've met. Yeah. Like, the first gunner, the outlaw... He was, like, fake charismatic, right? Yeah. Um, he's very good at acting it up. And uh, now we've got a good person who is just kind of casually quite nice to people. Makes them chuckle. I'm imagining Michael Shannon behind the bar. Mm, sure. He probably deserves a bigger On role. Farm. <laughs> that's who I'm imagining. Yes. He'd do the acting he'd, good. Be, he'd do quite well as any of the bounty hunters. That's also true. Again, this is one where I actually haven't thought about oh, cast mate, Put him in as Henrique, actually. Yeah. Fuck it. Henrik. Yes. So, Sorry, Henrik. <laughs> um, at this point, one of the posse approaches the bar. He's ordering okay. drinks. Says, Barkeep, another round. On your tab, I take it. Of course on the tab. We're good. You know, if, um, pours out like you see him like under the bar, like dilute it, the shots with water or whatever. Daniel, this is a bar in the Old West. There's already water in the alcohol behind exactly. the bar. Exactly. I quite like the idea of maybe he could go and get a fresh bottle by which mm. he gets a bottle and the, the empty pours, bottle. Yeah. Pours half of the new bottle into the empty one and fills both up with water yeah, and leaves one and takes like the other back. Something like that. Because again, you've got time to play with here. Like you said, you've you can stretch these moments out. And that's good, because as the barkeep has gone away, now the unidentified, unnamed grunt uh, looks at the rifle. It's a mighty nice rifle you got there. Yes, it is. It is very nice. <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> can I Can I help you? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's just, you know, how does a, a, a trapper afford a thing like that? I suppose you'd call it an heirloom? Oh, I don't know what that word means. You enjoy your hair looming, sir. Gets the balls off the barkeep. Goes back. No recognition has occurred. Of course not. This is one of the idiots. He's probably not even seen the wanted yeah. posters. But now we see Angus, his fancy rifle, sipping his drink, his whiskey, look up. And there's like a mirror behind the bar, you know? Like, not a great one because we're not... I know what you mean. Like, but it's, 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 it's a polished bit of glass. Up, it's, it's enough to see the group it. that this man is now going back to. Suddenly, we get that flash of recognition on Angus's face when he sees Henrik. And there's just that kind of like caught in the headlights moment because Henrik hasn't seen him yet. And you can see him formulating the method by which he wants to leave this room. And like the barkeep comes back and says, you know, like rowdy lot they are, you know, classic like shit talking. He says, uh, is there a door or a window out back? Sorry, I'd like to leave this room. I don't want those men to see me. And he puts like his last dollar out there. That's all I got. Uh... Well, sure. Uh, like this way, uh, if you go, like, gives him the directions out, and he was yeah. like looking, and then he sees like as as Angus has escaped, uh, the barkeep looks over and sees the sheriff is wearing like his gold star still, and goes, "Wait, does he say anything? We don't know because we've cut away. We're well, following so Angus. Wait. Um, he doesn't say wait. He like he think you can see like hang on, like you can see that flash of oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. Hmm. But now if he draws attention to this fact." Will the sheriff be angry at him or even think him liable, you know? 
So, uh, you know, he goes back to probably polishing his glasses and, like, selling his, his, his watered-down whiskies. But we don't know that as an audience. We see that moment of recognition, mm-hmm. and then we're following Angus out of a window. Rifle first, then himself. Brushes himself down, and as he walks around the front of the saloon, he sees the horses of the posse arrayed. And, like, there's a moment where, like, he's thinking about what he could do here to hinder them. Yeah. And again, it's one of these kind of awkward long shots where we don't really know what's going to happen. It's all about the tension building, right? Mm. And this is all down to like cinematography and directorial shit. But like we can see him like load around into his rifle. We cut to like the horse's knees or legs or something. And like he's thinking about maiming these horses. But then like it's dead silent and he looks at his gun and it's like this will be too loud. There's no point in trying any of this. Plus they're tied up. They might make a hell of a fuss. And yeah, might but, be able to shoot but, through one or two of their knees. But... Horses are sinewy bastards, mate. You're not going to shoot through more than, like... Yeah, but he, the thing about horse, right, mm. is they're, like, notoriously bad at healing up. So, like... Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, these ones, if he if he tagged one, it would get turned into glue. Not to be rude about it. No, no. But, again, assuming they had these facilities in the old west... For glue-making and such. Um, but, like, he he's not, like, I want to kill these horses. It's, like, these need to not be able to carry men. Yeah. Because the implication is that he's very close to home. And right. these people, he knows, how he knows Henrik is not yet known to us. Okay. But he's recognised him. He's kind of flustered. He's thinking about all the stupid shit he could do to maybe, like, get a bit of an advantage. And in the end, we go back to the stable, and the guy's like, thought you were coming back in the morning. Changed my mind. Don't like this town. I'll take the horse now. And he rides away. I'm surprised he didn't untie the horses outside. Well, the thing is that he's like... Is it like a it big gives, window? It gives and... away the game, right? Like, so if he, if he does anything here... It's a red flag. Yeah, true. So, like, he has that kind of moment of instinct of, like, I could do terrible things and it would inconvenience them. But then it's like, it would only inconvenience them. And then they'd get new horses, you know, there's stables here. Yeah. Or they'd just take this as, like, proof of where we are. Um, you can see that this is a guy as, as, as he, again, moment of instinct overwritten by thinking it through for a few moments. Mm. Now we have him out on the road and we have, like, a campsite scene, as we did earlier. Um, he's not approached by any natives this time. Nothing happens. But we see him meticulously counting the amount of rifle shots he has left. And it's somewhere like a dozen. And, like, we get a cut back of, like, him counting, trying to remember the scene he saw of, like, how many men were with Henrik, right? And there's, like, eight or so, including the sheriff and Henrik. He's thinking about this, counts his ammo, puts it back in his, uh, you know, bandoliers or wherever you store it. And, you know, he takes the round out of the rifle that he loaded earlier. <laughs> And, you know, breathes easy, rests. Next day, he's riding along the road when he hears hoofbeats quite fast. And he can, he can turn, you know, you can, you can hear sound for quite a distance when it's very quiet. Yeah. He does the sensible thing. He pulls his horse off the road, tries to, like, hide immediately to the point that, like, he gets off his horse, he ties his horse to a tree and just books it. Rifle in hand, of course. And what do you know? It's the bounty hunter's. And they see the horse, and they stop and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't the, didn't the stable keep say he sold this thing? Yeah, to a man who looked like uh, Angus Moran. And Henrik, uh, on his horse, kind of surveys the scene. And the sheriff is about to say something when Henrik just yells, Angus, come on out. You're wanted alive, boy. Let's not change that. No response. We cut to, like, Angus in, like, a little hollow under a tree somewhere, quietly loading his rifle. Henrik, like, gestures for a couple of uh, the guys, the posse, to kind of sweep the area. 
and they're like riding through on their horses. And this is where we get that flash of Angus mentioned he was in the military, right? So this is kind of his, he gets a solid snake tactical espionage action moment of cutting a safe path between these four like mounted people in their search party. This is all down to the terrain of the area and the choreography of the scene. But um, he, escapes, he escapes on foot. His horses lost to him. But not only was that a lot of his money, um, you know, the, the bounty hunters now take the horse. And there's kind of deliberation as to what to do now. We, we're with Henrik and the sheriff and after this search has occurred. The sheriff is of the mind, you know, well, we can stay here and we can look for him, even though he's probably given us the slip. He's a squirrely one, that one. And it doesn't show up very often. Plus, you know, for all we know, he's he's staring at us with a rifle uh, in hand, waiting to pick us off, one by one. You know, we, d- we don't want to get too bogged down here when we know that the entire family could be up in Greywater, just up the road. And Henrik is weirdly vengeful, in case that wasn't readily apparent yet, this this thing. And he yells out to Angus again. Um, and we, like, cut to Angus, unable to hear what's being yelled. Just the same as before, like, come on out, boy. And we just have Angus making his way through the woods. And then we're with Henrik and the sheriff and the posse. And they are heading into Greywater. We have a long sequence where they're investigating, you know, they want to know about, um, they've got the wanted posters and, you know, we see a couple of William's friends from earlier get questioned. Mm. And, you know, most of them are like, oh, no, I don't know anyone like like that, sir. Again, Henrik is a dick about these things. No one wants to talk to him. Yeah. But, you know, one of them talks to the sheriff because the sheriff goes about things in a nicer fashion. Mm. And the sheriff says, look, he's wanted alive. Uh, we just want to talk to him. It's questionable. We need to know. Uh, is, is, he's, re- he's linked to some crimes back east that we need to know about. We don't want to, you know, we're not here to put him in cuffs. We're not taking taking him away. We don't want to gun him down. We need to know just some information. The friend relents and is like, well, you know, as long as he's, I don't want him to be in trouble. And if, you know, if he hides, he's in trouble, right? You know, um, I, I just how how long will this take? You'll you'll be gone, right? Soon you'll talk to him and leave. And you know, the sheriff's like, yeah, yeah, sure, totally, absolutely, that will be what happens, a hundred percent, yes. So. Gives up the location, you know. They, he's got a homestead quite a ways out of town. He lives there alone, but we as the audience know he doesn't. He has an axe. He has an axe and an ill woman who his brothers are out looking for medicine for. Mm. And now we get to the convergence. So Henrik and co. are heading up towards this homestead, right? And they're like, they nobody's showing up when they first pull up. They like stop at the bottom of the hill. They can see like the smoke from the chimney. They make their plans, right? It's like, okay, so let's assume all three of them are here. Mm. All three of them are armed and dangerous. Shoot first, ask questions later, says Henrik. And the sheriff's like, alive for questioning. No, 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 no. No, we'll, we'll take them in either way. Henrik, we won't get the reward money. I'll pay you all. Well, alrighty then, say most <laughs> of the posse. That uh, makes this way easier. And, you know, the gung-ho idiots all, like, clack their revolver, yeah. hammers back. And Henrik is, is savvy about it. He's like, you know, you three go up on this, on the high ground. Mm. Um, you know, you three, you stay here, watch the road. Me and the sheriff will go in front. They divvy up. You know, a couple of them get off their horses to go into the woods. The sheriff and Henrik stay on their horse, head up the track. And there's that tense moment of there's no movement in the in the yard, in the homestead, nothing. Just, again, drizzle, Mm -hmm. uh, rain splashing from the gutters, kind of that constant motif of this place. When, you know, the sheriff is, like, looking around, you get that kind of classic. He's inspecting 
the site of the soon-to-be shootout. Yeah. Um, classic Western stuff. You know, you see every detail. You see uh, the slightly ajar window in the second floor and the... Well, imagine and the, with this no music and just the sound just of the, the rain. steps and the rain and the yeah, spurs and, on uh, the yeah, the, no. Well, they're still on horseback as they come up it. Oh, okay. So it's that's good too. It, and you know the occasional horse going. Rrr. Perfect uh, impersonation. Thank you. That Thank was you. great. But this is another one of those tense scenes of what's going to happen, and uh, the sheriff has changed the way his holster is because he's still got his arm yeah, uh, so wrapped he up. Needs to be so he's got hand- a cross holster instead he of needs a hip holster. Handed now, doesn't yeah, he? so like he he actually just draws his gun and like you see him fumble the hammer a couple times, mm. but he he clicks it back. Um, he's he's drawn ready. Uh, Henrik draws his as well, and you can see him about to shout when a figure steps out from the little uh, lumber workshop, and it is the middle. Uh, Moren is William Scarface. Yes, and he kind of looks confused and says, "Howdy, Uncle." What brings you around here? Don't be an idiot, boy. Where are the others? And William's got his axe. Others? Oh, you mean you mean Gunner and Angus? Oh, they don't come around here no more. We had a disagreement. You know what I'm here for, William? Don't want there to be trouble between you and me. We've never had a disagreement. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, Uncle, but uh, nice to see you too. Would you like some stew? I was just... Just boiling some potatoes. Stop dancing around the issue, boy. And you can see, you know, we cut to, like, the different angles of the posse, like, fanning out. And, you know, the, the sheriff's shaking hand, like, he's he's not left-handed. This is going to be a disaster if he tries to shoot with his left hand. Yeah. William is stalling, right? It's pretty clear. And as all of this is happening, uh, as their conversation of, like, back and forth of, like, Henrik getting more and more wound up, we cut to Angus, who is now... Just at the like bottom of the hill, he sees like the two who were left with the horses, and like again, he goes for that impulse of like rifle up, and then think like looks up at the house, sees like the figure of people in the woods around the homestead, and like goes for the long flank, like he's the soldier. It's all kicking in. So again, back to the confrontation between William and Henrik, um, Uncle Henrik, shocking reveal. Yeah, um, he's also part of the family. Correct. It's almost as if the title was very appropriate for multiple reasons. Mm. We got the back and forth, and eventually, like, it's a stalemate. Neither of them are speaking. Uh, William's still, like, gesturing for him to come inside, or at least, like, get off his horse. And Henrik eventually just says, Where is she, boy? Oh. Oh, that's why you're here. Oh. I'm I'm really sorry, Uncle. Uh, Fever took her. You're two weeks too late if you wanted to have a word with her. And, um, like, the sheriff, like, frowns, doesn't really understand what's going on. And Henrik says, so where'd you bury her? Oh, you know, out by the creek, like she wanted. Where's this creek? And we see um, Henrik, still on horseback, still gun-drawn, kind of gestured the sheriff to, the, to follow William. William's got his axe. Um, we're going down. Savvy viewers will notice that we're going down the same path that he took to get to his venting spot. But he is leading them down this path. And again, as we travel, we get all of the kind of like every snapped twig, every creak of the trees is like an extra device to build tension for everyone involved. And they've let him keep his axe. Well, they've got guns and they're keeping him at a distance and they're on horseback. Like, what's he going to do? Hit their ankles? Okay. But yeah, I think they might might regret that. If he he steps forward like a little bit, maybe there's a moment where Henry's like, oh, back up there, son. 
you know that kind of thing okay they're following him down this path and you know like there's there's the posse who are like um arrayed on the high ground but they there's a moment where like they can't really see each other very well and we just get that very rapid snap cut of like angus jumping one just grabbing his neck pulling him we don't see what happens, but we can assume as we cut back to Henrik and, and uh, William, we walk past the like tree of venting and, you know, that draws weird looks from the sheriff and from Henrik. But he, he takes them down to the creek and, you know, there's there's a, an area that he's carved out of like the wilderness and there's like dirt and, you know, he says, we always uh, joke that we couldn't afford a gravestone, but I couldn't even afford a plot near the church. So I hope, hope God can see this far, you know, I don't really know how it works. And Henrik gets off his horse. There's like a, you know, there's like a wooden plank, because of course there is. Yeah. With like very carefully carved, you know, here lies, I think the name I chose was Jocelyn Moren, and you know, dates. And Henrik is inspecting this when there is a gunshot up near the homestead. We don't know what's going on. We can guess. But this is the moment that uh, William is going to use to attack. The sheriff on his horse sees the like axe swing fumbles the shot, misses. The horse is panicked by having a gun go off. You know, the horse that Henrik has isn't, because he's the bounty hunter, his horse is better. But now he's scuffling. The axe swing and, like, the shot and all of this, it's a brawl. And we cut back to, uh, like, a couple of the the posse who are down with the horses, the, like, two who got left behind, uh, looking along the road to see a figure approaching at a gallop on horseback. And it's the outlaw son, Gunner, showing up at last. And, like, they both fumble for their guns, but he's already drawn. Bam, bam, he's a crack shot. They're both down. All of the horses are panicking at this point, and uh, the scuffling down by the, the creek. Henrik and William are struggling over the axe, and William, old Scarface, is strong. Henrik is huge, but he's not backing down from the fight at all. And, like, there's probably a moment where he, like, lets go of the axe for a second, throws, throwing Henrik off balance, and just slugs him in the mouth, something like that. So I have a suggestion based on what I was saying before about I don't like the idea of the cowboys leaving him with anything, especially considering... Uh, sorry, cowboys? I mean, the bounty, bounty hunter and the sheriff. I don't like the idea of him, them leaving him with an axe. And maybe the bounty hunter is slightly disarmed because they're related by the fact this mm. person who's also clearly related well, to someone who's in the ground. Yeah. Would you like to hear my suggestion about how to fix this particular scuffle? Is there an axe in the, in the ground? <laughs> I quite like that too. <laughs> Reach it into the grave, axe motherfucker. <laughs> Instead of having the axe, that's already been dropped. Drop the axe. Sure, maybe there's a shovel down by the grave or something. He uses the the, plank. He uses the plank. (laughs) The grave plank. The grave plank, which has a spike in the bottom of it, because he's made this thing perfect so he could bang it into the ground. He's yanked that out and he's hit the guy with it, but it's also got a sharp thing in the end if he needs to use it. There's a physical confrontation happening between the two strong men of the story. Yeah. That's the important thing. Uh, The sheriff is like waving his gun around, like, get out the way! And Henrik says, go deal with whatever's making shots up there. I got this runt slug. You know, punch. <laughs> and the sheriff, like, his horse is spooking, so he, like, pulls it up, back up the hill. Yeah. As the posse is, like, turning to see what's happening with uh, the two who had just gone down by the, the black hat outlaw who's riding up the road, suddenly, you know, rifle fire, <laughs> taking them out. This leaves three posse, three members of the posse still, Sheriff and Henrik. And, uh... Three v five now. Yes. And they're rapidly evening the odds. The problem is that now that Angus has dealt with the other attackers on the high ground, only the low ground attackers are down below, and the house is between him and them. Yeah, it's like he's trying like, to get a shot. He has the same problem the guys who went up there had, which is they yeah. it's not the best view because of the trees and the house. And the line of sight is, is rough for him, but the three idiot wannabe bounty hunters don't give a shit. They're firing up past the house. 
and we see like bits of the gutter or whatever just get like chipped away the roof they're firing away at the house you know there's that threat because we know that maybe there's somebody in the bed up there maybe it's all the diversion we don't know or maybe you know she's dead and this is all a fight over nothing so the three uh, low ground posse members we, we see angus like weaving uh, but then we have the outlaw riding up the road into the yard whirling his horse around classic like ridiculous fashion tagging one of the the three remaining posse members but one of them fires a shot and his horse is hit or bolts something and he gets thrown off his horse into the mud and then he's like you know prone pistol out waiting for him to come over the little lip of the hill uh, towards him and he's just like lying in the middle of the yard in his nice black clothes different boots very mm. important detail he gave up his black boots and just kind of watching waiting and that tension kind of returns because we can see angus now has a line of sight if these two poke up and we see that if they try and crest the hill the outlaw gunner will gun them down but we're back with the scuffle and it is pretty clear that henrik is like overpowering right they're both equal in strength there's no weapons involved anymore mm. william is happy to fight a little bit more dirty you know like slings mud up that kind of thing pushes henrik into henrik's horse dirty fighting 101 and Henrik is like yelling, uh, you know, I thought she raised you proper, boy. Come on. You know, all this nonsense. Fuck me like a man. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's kind of the point at which, you know, he gets thrown into a horse, that kind of thing. Like, absolutely not. I'm winning this fight. And, you know, it's the classic, don't want any trouble, uncle, but you brought it here. We did everything to stay off the map, but you couldn't let things go, could you? <sighs> Never were really part of the family, were you, uncle? Grabs him. There's a stream nearby. Drags him over, like uncle kicks and protests, crack, does the kneecap in, stamps on it, whatever. William is drowning the uncle. And the only tension left now is, is the uncle going to be able to resist enough? But William, dirty fighter as established, punches him in the back of the head. He's killing this man. And Henrik Moran meets his end, drowned by his nephew in a quiet stream in the middle of nowhere, America. Bounty Hunter dealt with. The only one that's left is the sheriff who rides up this hill to see Gunner lying on his belly in the mud. And we get that kind of moment of Gunner going, shit, and like turning, but then rifle shot. <laughs> Takes out the sheriff's other hand. And uh, like the sheriff's like down on the ground, thrown from his horse, like his gun on the ground near him. This and, like, time, just a stump. Yeah, and like Gunner is like aware of the situation, but can't help himself from laughing. And, you know, he's like, God's plan, Sheriff. Funny seeing you here. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and the last two members of the posse, Angus moves up and we see that they've retreated to their horses. They're skedaddling. Yeah. They're going to tell the story, you know, maybe. Or maybe they're just fleeing for their lives. Bit of both. And, you know, William comes up the hill. If his axe was down there with him, he's got that back. But Henrik is nowhere to be seen. And they have their little trio meet up. And this is the first time they've seen each other in months. Yeah. You know, they're all like filthy, coated in yeah. mud. Been up against it. Yeah, w William has multiple like bruises, like he's been in a very vicious boxing match because he has been. Oh. It's clear that the other two want to be like, oh, brother, you know, good to see. You. And William's like, they might have heard the shots in town. It's far, but it's not that far. Well, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. We'll we'll take it as it comes. We've got to clean this mess up first, you know. And the sheriff's just like slowly trying to like crawl back towards his, his revolver. Gunner says, "Excuse me a moment, brothers. I must deal with this gentleman. He and I have some history. You understand." chivalrous of me i know thank you goes over to the sheriff and says sheriff i'm awfully sorry about your hands now we have had this conversation before but i would like it if you could stop pursuing me and my family and the sheriff's like looking up at him like just completely out of it just shoot me boy all right hmm. he's like ah oh, that one felt bad Ooh, no i don't like that oh well fine what did Henrik want exactly? They're back to having that conversation when they look over to 
the house kind of slowly to see woman in blankets and shawl, like very ill looking. I was sleeping. What the hell did you boys do? Hello, mother. Long time no see. You shouldn't be on your feet. And, you know, like the one who's William, who's like beaten to hell, but is the one who's been looking after her directly, rushes and like props her up on his shoulder and says, who came calling? Wasn't Henrik, was it? Well, about that. Which one of you killed him? <laughs> it was it was me, mother. How long did it take? I don't know, maybe a couple of minutes. Not long enough. Man was a bastard. Just like his brother. <laughs> Either way, you three clean this up. Going back to bed. And we get the, the denouement, the end of the film, of like this wrapping up and they have their conversation, you know. And they're like they're having these conversations like dragging bodies into the woods, you know. Mm. Like we're gonna have to relocate. If, if Henrik was able to find us in, in Greywater, and that was a sheriff, he still had his star, you know? And what about um, those government men? What government men, says the man who decapitated two government men? I don't think any government men will be bothering us. Yeah, but all of these people are connected. Look, we're going to have to split up again. William, you want to stay here and look after Mother? And try and, while we try and find somewhere to relocate to? What about, you know, what about Owl Creek? That's nice. It's too nice. Can't go there. You know, and they're having the, these conversations. And we kind of just get them, like, cleaning up the massacre. William's making stew. Uh, potatoes and apples, not people. Very important to know. Good, good. Um, but, like, we get the scenes of, like, them selling a do- half a dozen horses back to town. Gunner selling the horses because he's the outlaw. I apologise for my loud typing. That's okay. And the soldierman, Angus, you can have mm. him counting bullets. And this time yes. he's got a he's... lot more. Like, you don't yes. even finish seeing yeah. him count them at this point because he's taken them off the yeah. three guys that so he ghosted it, up on it, the top of the map. These guys, their story will continue. And, you know, the medicine that Gunner has brought back and Angus has brought back, we don't know that the mother will get better or worse. We don't know any of that. But what we do know is that the final shot is, like, them having a family meal, like, in this tiny rickety shack on a hill, uh, having some of William's stew that he's always makes the same exact fucking stew. What we have is we have the three of them arranged in similar fashion to their wanted posters, with uh, the mother standing over them. And then we cut back to that original shot of the wanted posters, and we pan back out to see that the mother has a wanted poster above all three of them. Wanted dead or alive. $1,500. The Mariticide. That means she killed her husband. Credits. Wow, that was a long one. Blimey. So I I warned you that this was going to be a long film where very little happens, but I feel like the ending made up for it. So what I was... I like the how like on the nose a lot of the like idea seeding feels throughout like he's buying medicine for his sick mother. Duh. Why are they mm. on the run? Because they're protecting their mother who murdered somebody. It all like falls together well, in the you final say that couple of Not pieces. a lot happens, but you follow some very classic Western tropes. Which yeah, is, pretty much. You open with a confrontation that sets the sort of stakes and the feel and the tone mm. of the story and the realism of the violence. And the skill of the, well, in this case, one of the main protagonists. Yes. And then from there, you have that person try and get away from that confrontation. Hmm. That is classic Western stuff. And the fact that you then do the inverse with the next character is quite good. I like that a lot. Well, the thing is that just because they're brothers, they don't... I mean, we understand this in a lot of ways, don't we? Yeah. We are related by blood, but there's a few years difference in, in us. And we've obviously got completely different experiences of the world. Um, but like you know these these are different people and then the third brother being sort of again so what happens with his is sort of derailed slightly by the ending needing to happen Mm. but he has a condensed version of what happens with the second brother in a very similar way only it's like he is the one who's had it the worst 
as much as he's not the dutiful one, because you've mm. got flamboyant, you've flashy. Got, so what? What, gunner, the, what the got, trio is mm. is you've got the distraction. Yeah, the one who stays home and makes sure that everyone's okay. Yeah, and that there's like food on the table and is looking after the sick mother. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the person who is trying to like provide, right? Because those planks of wood are not going to be anywhere near as worth as much as those pelts, which suits. So, yeah, which suits the. Um, uh, the style of what you've done as well because mm. like I was saying you've got the flamboyant one he's a distraction that makes a lot of sense yes you've got the dutiful one he's exactly that mm. he's doing his... I realised as I drew towards the end there that I took him from being kind of like uh, roughly spoken to being Todd from Breaking Bad and I didn't mean that but it was not meant it to be a glassy really well. eyed child murderer spoilers but it works but, really well yeah really well and you know, th- then you've got the third one who is the capable one out of the mm. three. Like, he's obviously the most switched on. He's the most controlled. He's not the type who will, like, slaughter some people in a stable and then drag them off. In- he would have do you, want, do you want the, the real deep dive on this? Go on. Look at their choice of weapons. So you've got axe, pistol, and rifle. rifle. Levels of precision. Levels of aggression needed for each one. True. It is pure, like... Dungeons and Dragons style, you're defined by a specific part of your arsenal. Okay. Or like, you know, you have that. I think the idea of like just matching the personalities to that. And then the backstory as well. Because, you know, why does he have an axe? Because he works with wood all day. They're caricatures. Yeah. Um, the, the, the the classic bounty hunter who is basically Dog the Bounty Hunter. You know, just big guy, ridiculous facial hair. Very yeah. aggressive about, <laughs> about pursuing his leads. You've got the kind of like good cop, except, you know... Um, he's got a chip on his shoulder because of what's happened to his mm-hmm. hand he is not like 100% happy with the situation yes. he's been landed in and he wants to take that out on someone to the point where he's going along with this like pretty much downright foolishness and it's it's pretty it's pretty much the thing that I think is most telling is the idea that like the sheriff at no point ever goes like why are we doing this again it's just like oh I'm assuming he wants the reward money mm. and he's a famous bounty hunter cool so I'm ready. I'm ready for the predictions because I'm curious. I reckon six out of ten. I don't think I've got um, that many even. Did you have? You said you had ten, right? Yeah, I do have ten. Okay, okay. I reckon. I, I reckon it's three out of ten. Um, <laughs> from actually, I might have more. Let's go through. Let's it. go. The main characters are not good guys. Check. Mm. They're not. They. So the thing is, right? That they are defensive. Mm. They're, they're just they're a bad guy does not mean they are yeah, a bad guy, but, as we said before. Yeah, but, but but they are quite casual about murdering these people if it means defending their mum. It's a western. They were never going to be like good guys right. unless it was about. They had cops. wanted I mean, posters told, for a reason. You, know? you told me the title, so I was like, the family are they going to be some sort of crime family? Which mm. it sounds like they might have been and maybe came for money, and there's still so a secret I could, family treasure like, somewhere. There's a lot of room for expansion. Yeah, there's the, you can you can do all the backstory you want, but like honestly. I don't think it's like some syndicate. I think mm. it's just like how they're known as like the bounty poster is sort of three in one, you know? Yeah. Um, and the idea is probably that like um, Henrik, uh, the uncle who became bounty hunter, military man, probably got the young, the uh, third brother, Angus. I almost called him the youngest. Let's call him the youngest. Uh, Angus probably got into the military through him, you know? Yeah, so that's yeah, like I the link that. there. And then the brother was, or like the dad, I should say, who was murdered by the mum. Uh, the dad is probably just like, um, you know, maybe a similar station, but not necessarily military, maybe like low tier government or something like that. That's what I was And imagining. was like, like the, the way I imagined it was something really mundane. Like he was an alcoholic who attacked his wife and she won the fight. Like, like that kind of like background, like 
oh shit, this is going to completely derail our lives, and the sun's defending it. Mm. So I'm almost, but not quite on the money with this next one. They protect a small town from an incoming force featuring Home Alone-style traps. No traps. And it's not a town. And it's a homestead. But close. Yes, there's, there's a defensive shootout, correct. This one I'm totally off. There are cattle rustlers. No. No, that's a shame. No. There is a cavalry fort which they need to sneak into at night. Is this so, a Red Dead mission? <laughs> I've just listed various Red Dead God missions. God damn it. <laughs> we need to come back to the names. Finish your list. There is a fight in a saloon. There's a tense moment in a saloon. And outside of a saloon. So again, not quite a Saloons but... occur, yes. Yep, there, a is, there is a saloon. Someone kills the main character's horse. That does not happen. Actually, no, it gets winged. It gets, it gets captured. And that's Angus's, but the um, yeah. the black hat, the um, gunner, That's near the end. Yeah, you're right. His, his horse does get his shot. His horse gets shot, so mm. I'm close there as well. There's a, I'll say, there's I'll a say... vibe of horse injury. Yeah. Um, this one, totally often. You told me this, but I left it on the list because I okay. wanted to prove I'll, to you I'm that ready. I'd written this a, a while ago. There is a train robbery. There is no train robbery. Right. There is a train, though. So There's yeah. a couple of trains, maybe. <laughs> This next they're one. Used, they're used for locomotion, sadly, and nothing more. This next one's going to make you laugh. I'm ready. There is only one female character who is either a single mother or prostitute. Damn. Um, <laughs> I mean, she's not a prostitute. You got me on that one. I got you. I'm sorry. It's the old West. So I was expecting it to be one of those two things, yeah. like without question and I'm I think I did mention I, was right, I think but... I did mention that the three the, the family was three brothers before I pitched this entirely if, to if you. If you did, I don't remember. Yeah, that. fair enough. Yes, you got me. No female characters except for the mother. I apologize. It's not it's not on purpose. Okay, two two left now. Okay. So that's um you know, I've done all right. I've done yeah, all right yeah. with my predictions. Grand, uh, not great. Red Dead has steered you right. Yeah. Um and this next one though, it, it, it's wrong. The Native Americans are mentioned, but not seen at any point. No, they're there. No, they're there. They're there. I, um, I don't think they needed to be there, but I wanted I like, to add I'm, to that kind of pacing of the Western, of like, random shit happens as And you I like the through. fact that they um, approached as a threat, but weren't, and they sort of, they were quite civilised, if anything. In this yeah. story, like they, they several... fit into the world in a certain way. You've got an encounter for each individual mm. that's quite civilised. Yeah. It's so the the it working backwards um, from the very end of things. The barman is very nice to Angus. Yeah. The wood the guy who um, William sells his wood to is yeah. very nice the, to William. The, you know. And then at the beginning, you I get mean, the Native Americans with Gunner. So everyone yeah. gets like one bit of hope for humanity. Also, Gunner is quite polite to the Reverend. Like they've been having a conversation before the showdown starts. Yeah, but that's off screen. Yeah, and there's still this like element of threat. Mm. I do wish that I had a way to bring the Reverend back in in some way, but I like him leaving in Act 1 as well. Yeah. And he, kind of he, assisting it, in the investigation and staying home. It wouldn't be, like, realistic. Yeah, exactly. he had some sort of personal stake, or you explained how he yeah. used to be some sort of yeah. woman who turned to God or something like that, and at yeah. that point you've become a different type of Wild West cliche. Absolutely. Which I'm glad you didn't, because I was no. kind of expecting that to happen from your, like, very good opening... Mm. I was expecting it to be a bit more of a um, genre flip, and I was expecting um, Sheriff gets shot, but the Reverend having pull a gu- gun on Gunner. <laughs> I'm can, glad that I like happen, the comedic but... tick of him having the hip flask glow. Yes. And like I say, that, that opening yeah. is great. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. Super and... cliched, but it's meant to be because that's the point of the first 
brothers' characters. Certainly, you know, I I did a horror comedy about vampires, and leaning heavily into cliches. Yes, works really well sometimes, and it means you can do things like throw bottles of garlic mayonnaise at them. True. So your equivalent of that is the um, fact that before before they (laughs) offer him for his like potentially fatal wound. Well, it's a hand injury. Yeah, but that can have arteries involved. That's a potentially fatal wound, depending on how and where he's been hit. Because your arteries run up through your wrist, Dan. Yeah, yeah, I know. So if, if some sort of splinter or fra- fragment of shrapnel has gone through nah, his wrist... Nah, just amputate that shit. It'll be fine. Absolutely, you know, quarter you can have a hook for hand. Sure what I was trying to say before you <laughs> before, doubted me... Before we derailed each other massively. Is that it was great the way that they both took a swig, even him, before mm. applying it to the wound. That yeah. was a real nice touch. I enjoyed that a lot. You had one more? Final point. And I'm very, very glad that I'm wrong about this. Hmm. It is somehow set on Mars and was a sci-fi the whole time. I'm That's so glad you were wrong about that. But yeah, it's not a sci-fi. Well done. I'm Thank genuinely you. impressed. You. This is I... your first non-sci-fi pitch, and I really liked it. I've only done three. But, you know, it might have been very wildly yeah, yeah. different by comparison. Okay, I've done a sci-fi too, but... Is your next one going to be a sci-fi? Yes. <laughs> God damn it. I think that about wraps us, right? Definitely. Unless you've got any, any other questions or intrigues. I feel I feel like this is the kind of thing where the style of writing that I like, like I would be able to sit down and like do the dialogue for these scripts. I love writing conversations, and this is a film that is pretty much carried by a couple of random meetings like yeah. in the saloon. Um, just and, ha- them and that carries it. That carries it, There's... and just character interactions. Which you know we said on the note of modern westerns that aren't really westerns we saw Mm. once upon a time in Hollywood and the tension over nothing and Mm. great character interaction make that movie that considering what happens it should be boring but it's not it's never boring it's always tense and it's always like quite deep with what's happening whether it's visual or um, dialogue wise whether it's Brad Pitt having a conversation with a dog you're still sort of like constantly drawn into it I do feel the need to write a pitch for you one of these weeks where Leonardo DiCaprio has a mental breakdown halfway through. I'm I'm gonna push for that. Do it. Okay. Do it. Definitely. That's once upon a time in Hollywood. By the way, uh, I'd recommend. Great. And this has been the family. My uh, western pitch. Uh, I hope my complete forgetfulness as to the specifics of the mm. history of the area. Made up place names are great. Thank you for Owl Creek. Mm. I feel like the the cool thing about that as well is like you could type any of these in and there'll be a town named that somewhere. It's probably and true. it'll be like um you know like a post office and two <laughs> lampposts, but it'll be a town placed on a map somewhere. Owl Creek, Beaver Gorge. God <laughs> Just damn keep, it. keep making them up as you know as a guy. And the one other thing I wanted to say in terms of make up made up names, and we gently teased this yes. earlier. Okay, where no, are the this... main characters' names so, from, Daniel? Explain I, this to my the one audience. failing as a writer, personally speaking, mm. is I'm terrible at coming up with names. And we were having a discussion about how you would come up with really good like cowboy western names. Yeah. When we accidentally stumbled into potentially the greatest gold mine since the Wild West Gold Rush, since California first became settled. Our aunt collects Labradors <laughs> and she always gives them very on point names so Gunner mm-hmm. William Angus it didn't actually mention it but the sheriff's first name was Ernest nice Henrik isn't one of them the fake name that one of them gives is Peter at one point Peter exactly that. they're all dogs names they're all dogs names <laughs> all dogs that's, names that's uh, my one sin and they worked really well for cowboys <laughs> they really did on that note I think that's us. I think that's the elevator. In this case, because it's the Wild West, it's one of these pulley ones, so you've yeah. got to use a rope. But nonetheless, 
we've reached the ground floor or whatever, you know, please get off and exit Take the saloon in an orderly manner. out somewhere else, boy. <laughs> One hour elevator pitch will return in the family two for a few families more. No. No, I'm not sure about that one. The good, the bad, and the family? Once upon a time in the family. A fistful of families. <laughs> and we're going to close it there. <laughs> <laughs>